This reading is from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 30. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father of one. Thanks very much for reading, Sophia. We're halfway through our I Am series in John's Gospel. We've thought about Jesus saying, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door. And we've now reached, I am the good shepherd. Simon talked a little bit last week with the sheepfold about some of the imagery from the Old Testament that Jesus is referring to when he talks about being either the door to the sheepfold or the good shepherd. I thought I'd just start by taking us back to a bit of that because Jesus is importing a huge amount of cultural reference when he talks about being the good shepherd and it's important for us to be aware of that as soon as we read it it all kicked off with david uh, back in second samuel when he was anointed at hebron Uh, he was told by god you shall be the shepherd of my people uh, treating the people of israel as a sort of flock and their king as the shepherd Uh, Around David's time, that idea of the people as a flock was imported backwards to Moses and Aaron in Psalm 77, who, it was said, led the people like a flock. And then a bit after David's, the image was extended by the prophets to criticize bad rulers rather than to lord good ones. So Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Micah, uh, all of them have very famous Uh, criticisms of the bad shepherds of Israel. 
Perhaps the most famous is Ezekiel, who spends the whole of chapter 34 of his prophecy criticizing the bad shepherds of Israel. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, he says, feeding yourselves rather than the sheep, failing to strengthen the sheep who are falling down, not healing the sheep who are wounded, not binding them up, not searching out the sheep who have gone astray. And he concludes with the rather damning conclusion, God is against the shepherds of Israel. The solution to bad shepherding in that time was God himself as shepherd, which Isaiah picks up uh, when he says, he, the Lord, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Of course, David, the original shepherd king, of course, knew that God would be a shepherd because who was the shepherd of that shepherd? Well, he said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So as I say, Jesus is importing a huge amount of Old Testament imagery when he says in those opening words of our reading, I am the good shepherd. Just a few short words, but a huge amount of meaning, which we need to be aware of. And I've just given a very brief overview there of what the Old Testament says about the people of Israel, people of God, as a flock and their leaders as shepherds. Significantly, Jesus is saying this at the end of the Feast of Booths interaction in chapters 7 to 10 of John's Gospel. And this little section is the end of an interaction with the Pharisees, uh, called the Jews, or the leaders of the Jews, in John's Gospel. And it's obviously a a difficult interaction where they're being quite antagonistic. At the end of chapter 9, they said to the blind man who Jesus healed, uh, we follow Moses Uh, you're not following Moses, you're following this guy instead, setting up a very sharp distinction between them and Jesus and those who followed him. But Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherds, I am on the light side. It's not you who are with Moses who are on the the side of right, it's me. Of course, they're slightly blithely unaware of this. Just before our reading, it's stated by John, they simply didn't understand what he was talking about. Sometimes I'm prone to making uh, rather flippant, sometimes cultural references to high culture like The Simpsons. And uh, many of my friends, and uh, Hannah certainly, suffers from some of these cultural references, which are rather obscure sometimes. Uh, but this isn't an obscure cultural reference that Jesus is making. He's making a reference to, a hu- as I've said, a huge part of Old Testament imagery, which the scribes and Pharisees ought to be highly aware of rather than dumbfounded by. This is a central part of the religion which they're meant to be teaching there in the temple. Jesus is casting, however, the Pharisees as bad shepherds. These are the bad shepherds of Ezekiel, who the Lord is against, and asserting instead that he is the good shepherd. He, therefore, is God who will sort out the bad shepherds and look after the flock. But Jesus isn't just relying on implication here. He is saying a few substantive things in these verses about what the good shepherd does now that he's come. I'm going to touch on fairly briefly five things that he says the good shepherd does. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He fights for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. He enlivens or brings life to his sheep. And he keeps his sheep. Firstly, then, the good shepherd knows his sheep. 
Look at that verse 14 again. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And likewise, verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. The relationship between this shepherd and his sheep is a really close one, a deep relationship of personal knowledge of one another. God doesn't just know about his people. He knows his people. He knows us intimately. Of course, that's what Jesus has himself says in the gospel, where he says he knows all the hairs on our head. We sometimes, when we've been driving around, I've no doubt seen enormous flocks of sheep, particularly in other countries. If anybody's been to New Zealand or Australia and seen vast flocks of sheep there, and you kind of take one look at them and think, uh, don't know how they keep track of all of those sheep. I'm sure they have some sort of techno- technological way of doing so. Um, but this is not the sort of relationship that Jesus has with an enormous flock of sheep uh, that they shepherds there would have with that, those sorts of size of flock. They wouldn't just, uh, they just number them off, whereas Jesus knows us by name. It's very different. It's much more small-scale imagery he's drawing on, the sort of imagery of Middle Eastern shepherds with their much smaller flocks of maybe 20 or 30 sheep which they keep on the hillside in his time. I, when I was growing up, my father looked after enormous uh, herds of cows. We had about 300 um, on the farm, and we did just number them. We didn't have a relationship with those cows where uh, we'd know this one is Daisy and that one is Flora and so on and so forth. It would be cow number 211 or cow number 178 and so on and so forth. And they had rings in their ears and little plastic tags that would give that number on them rather than personal names. But that's not the relationship that God has with us. He knows us all by name, not simply numbers on a spreadsheet or a roster, but personal names written on his heart, on the palms of his hands. And given that personal relationship, that deep connection that he has with his sheep, he knows his sheep and his sheep know him, there should be no uh, differentiation, there should be no barrier between us and the Lord. There's no room for priestcraft, for uh, ministers to come between the sheep and the great shepherd. No break of that relationship. Rather, ministers of the word, like myself, like Simon, uh, should stand aside to some extent and let the good shepherd speak to his sheep and simply present his word uh, to the sheep. So certainly an application uh, from, from the pulpit ought to be that the word is preached unvarnished, uh, that we should not add to the words of the shepherd. He knows his sheep. He knows what to say to his sheep. And he's put those words down for us to preach. Likewise, we shouldn't be too worried about Christian friends straying from the good shepherd if they know his voice. His sheep know him. Uh, If we are concerned about a particularly um, wacky church, that a, friend, a Christian friend of ours might have decided to go to, or if they've moved to a part of the country which doesn't have any good churches and we're slightly worried about them, or if they seem to be displaying odd behavior, which is inconsistent with uh, previous uh, straightforward Christian behavior in their life. We shouldn't be overly worried if we trust they are his sheep, because we know that the sheep know the shepherd, they know the voice of the shepherd, and they will come back to him. Secondly, the good shepherd fights for his sheep. He doesn't just know his sheep, but he knows us so much 
and cares about us so much that he fights for us. Verse 12, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But by contrast, the good shepherd does stand his ground, face down the wolf, and fight him and say, stay away from my sheep, Um, get lost. Animals, of course, wild animals are a real danger in the Middle East, Jesus' time. There are obviously all sorts of uh, animals that you wouldn't find there today, and certainly animals you wouldn't find here in this country. But they were a real problem then. And in this respect, actually, Jesus is again channeling that original shepherd king, David. Do you remember what David said to Saul when he first met Saul in the first book of Samuel? He said, I fought against bears and lions uh, to keep them away from my flock, which I've been shepherding. Let me go and fight Goliath. Uh, The Lord has saved me from the paws of the lions and the paws of the bears. Likewise, he'll save me from the paw of this enormous Philistine. So Jesus, like David, stood down the wild animals and fought them. Of course, the ultimate wild animal, the wolf, perhaps that Jesus has mostly in mind, is Satan, who he has stared down and fought against for his sheep's sake. Jesus did that for us. Rather than us face the wrath of the wolf, who would doubtless tear the sheep apart, Jesus stood in his way and said, no, they're my sheep. You get lost. I'll fight you for them. We don't sing in uh, songs these days a huge amount about that side of what Jesus did. One place it does come up is uh, one of my favorite hymns, 40 Days and 40 Nights, good Lent um, song. We might sing in a few weeks' time, perhaps, which has the verse, And if Satan vexing sore, flesh or spirit should assail, thou, his vanquisher before, grants we may not faint nor fail. The good shepherd fights for his sheep. The good shepherd has vanquished the wolf. And so let us not fear. Uh, Certainly the devil still prowls about us, we know from elsewhere in Scripture. He seeks who he might devour. And so it is a danger, the spiritual danger. There is evil in the world still. We know that very well. And evil spirits as well. But they have been vanquished in an ultimate sense by Jesus. We have a God who is a good shepherd who knows us, who hears his lambs when they cry out and has vanquished their enemy. Thirdly, the good shepherd dies for his sheep. And this comes up repeatedly in that passage, doesn't it? So verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life. In verse 18, not once but twice, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. So John definitely wants us to know that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And it's coming up again and again. That fight against the wolf, against the wild animals, is a dangerous one one that involves real risk, not just of serious harm, but of death. 
Jesus knew that his death would come about through that fight with the wolf. The wolf was allowed to rip out the shepherd's throat for our sake. So saving the sheep. He died so that we don't have to. Of course, he's talking about the cross here, a prophecy of his own death uh, only a few months later after this prophecy. The sins of the sheep required that a life was taken, that a sacrifice was made. So as Jesus hung there on the, on the cross, he knew that he was hanging there as the good shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep. So he had compassion in his heart, not hatred for those who stood around him. Those were sheep amongst those standing around. So he said, Father, forgive, for they don't know what they do. They're just stupid sheep who've put me here. And this is part of the eternal plan whereby I lay down my life for the sheep. And so we praise God, the good shepherd, for this. And we've done that already, of course, in the songs that we've sung, uh, some of them particularly appropriate for this particular theme. I don't know if you noticed, but it's not also just the sheep of Israel who Jesus is talking about here laying down his life for. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So it wasn't just ethnic Israel. It wasn't just the Israel who David had led, who the uh, prophets had prophesied about, who Jesus lays down his life for. But it's also God's Israel, the Israel of God, those who have been grafted in to the people as well. It's particularly appropriate, he mentions uh, those sheep of other sheepfolds in verse 16, because this is coming at the end of the interaction during the Feast of Booths, uh, at the end of that interaction I mentioned in chapters 7 to 10 of John's Gospel, uh, where he's at this Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, uh, which is a feast which celebrates the harvest. It's the harvest thanksgiving of Israel. There's many layers of meaning to all of these Israelite festivals, but this one particularly, uh, giving thanks for the harvest, was also pointing to the ingathering, not just of this year's crops, but the ingathering of all peoples to God at the end of time. And so it's particularly appropriate, therefore, that the Good Shepherd talks about gathering in the sheep of the other sheepfolds into Israel as he lays down his life for them. We, therefore, who aren't ethnically Jewish, have double reason to praise the Good Shepherd, not just because of inclusion in Israel, but also because of the sacrifice that the Good Shepherd makes for us. This is uh, a little point also that uh, refers to the Reformed doctrine of limited atonement. I'm not going to get into all of that now, don't worry. But it's just uh, worth bearing uh, noting here that the question about whether Jesus died for absolutely everybody or his sheep uh, is uh, one that bears on this particular verse. Um, I was going to bring you a couple of books to wave around to think further about this. Um, It's not a debate that's straightforward, Uh, But it is an important one, and it might be worth uh, reflecting on further, having read about Jesus laying down his life for his sheep. Of course, John also talks about Jesus laying down his life for the world, and so there's an interesting uh, thought process to have about what does 
uh, the world mean in the context of having spoken about dying for his sheep? Uh, do feel free to chat with me afterwards a little bit further about that. Fourthly, the good shepherd enlivens or brings to life his sheep. Of course, that's only possible because the good shepherd himself, having died, having laid down his life, himself returns to life. Look at the second part of verse 17. Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. And then verse 18 as well. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Of course, he rose again. He had authority to do so. He did suffer a real death. It was, for us, a real sacrifice. But death couldn't hold him, and Jesus is alive. He took up life again. And so he's able, because he's come to life again, to give life to his sheep as well. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. This is a little bit like a a super vaccine. We've all had uh, vaccines recently against COVID, a little vial of liquid uh, going into us to give us protection. Uh, Of course, that's uh, slightly painful at the time. Uh, Hurts on the arm, might feel a bit woozy for a few days afterwards. Uh, But in the long term, it's really useful, and it's a way of keeping safe. And of course, it completely changes our attitude to the virus, we come to it with a a new confidence. Yes, it's still annoying and uh, disappointing to get it and dangerous, uh, but not nearly as dangerous as before the vaccine. And certainly when I was vaccinated once, twice, three times, I felt uh, super confident in the face of it and uh, perhaps a little too confident, you might even say. But this giving of life that the Good Shepherd provides It's like a super vaccine, not just against COVID, but against any virus and anything that might bring death to us. Instead of coming to the clinic, imagine if instead of on that little vial, it didn't say uh, Pfizer or uh, AstraZeneca or Moderna. Instead, it had a little tag on it saying eternal life. And with a little pinprick and injection, you've been injected with eternal life and you're now vaccinated against literally anything that might come against you. That would be pretty wonderful. But that is the actual vaccine that Jesus gives. He gives eternal life to us that we may never perish. Never perish. That's the same offer that Jesus is giving. It's painful, of course, to admit to guilt and to rebellion against God. Uh, There's a little bit of awkwardness and anxiety and uh, uh, pain when that goes in. But it's transformative to actually go through with it and to receive that injection of eternal life. It provides a new eternal perspective on things. We're just here for a a short visit, but we plan to live forever. In this life, we can therefore spend and be spent for his sake who provides eternal life by laying down his life and by coming back to life again himself. Fifthly, and finally, The good shepherd keeps his sheep. Look at verse 28 again. No one will snatch them out of my hands. The father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of the father's hands. The shepherd who knows us, who fights for us, who dies for us, 
and who enlivens us will also keep us to the very end, whatever may come. He's too careful and too compassionate for anything otherwise to happen. And he holds us in his hands too tightly for us to be let go. I was at the airport recently getting some currency out for uh, my trip, my honeymoon abroad. And as soon as I got the money out, which was quite a lot of money, I just exchanged into the local currency for uh, the place we were going. Um, I was suddenly conscious that, gosh, I'm carrying something very valuable on me at the moment. I better hold on to it pretty tight. So I held it right here uh, in my hands, clutching it, making sure nobody would snatch it away. I don't know who else in the Gatwick terminal will be interested in snatching Eastern Caribbean dollars, but um, you never know when a thief might be about in that sort of environment. So I held it very close. It was precious to me. And that is how God holds us, how the good shepherd holds his sheep. He holds us really tightly because we're that precious to him, that important to him. He doesn't want any thieves to come in, swoop in, and take us away. I've briefly alluded to one of the Reformed uh, doctrines, limited atonement. This, of course, impacts on a slightly less controversial one, perseverance, the perseverance of all the saints, the, the P of tulip, for those of you who are interested, that everybody who is a true Christian will be held to the end by the Lord. I think that doctrine is coming fairly directly out of these verses. The Father who is given to me Nobody will snatch them out of his hands. Once any of us is somebody who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, he's never going to let us go because we're precious to him. And that's a great comfort, that whatever may come in life, death, disease, war, famine, plague, all sorts of personal situations, and I know many of us have been through very trying personal situations, If we really know Jesus, he will never let us go. He will always hold on to us to the very end. I've quoted one hymn. Please give me leave to quote a second before I finish from How Firm a Foundation. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. The good shepherd will hold us to the end. Let's pray and give thanks for all the Good Shepherd does for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus. Thank you that in spite of all the Pharisees sought to do to lead the people astray, he was the Good Shepherd, brought words of truth out of a compassionate, loving heart, Thank you that today he is alive. He knows us and fights for us, gives us life, and will keep us. We praise your name for all this, Heavenly Father, and we entrust ourselves to your eternal care. Amen.